All right, uh, inappropriate Earl, back, back for more. We just keep them coming here, and uh, for those people who keep asking me to do more of these well i tell you what you start booking the guest you make sure they can get to my house it ain't as easy as it looks especially with the big celebrities i draw on it's no easy task so i do them when i can and a lot of people ask me what's it take to be a guest on inappropriate earl it really only takes you having a car and a gps system uh, to be completely honest with you but if I can get the bad guy from Superman 2 to come here from Long Beach, then uh, you know I can pretty much get anyone here. And many of you know my association with the world of pro wrestling. I was the co-host of Roddy Roddy Piper's podcast. You know They brought me on board to help keep Pipes, uh, train of thought uh, going. You know uh, Piper would talk about staying for 20 minutes and then break off into a Von Erich story out of nowhere. So uh, I, I miss him to this day, and uh, but I've always loved pro wrestling. I, the UFC, I had Don Fry here, the Predator, probably not the greatest nickname for a fighter, but uh, you know he was great. And I've had uh, Eric Bischoff recently. That the, he wasn't just in the Monday Monday Night Wars; he was the Monday Night Wars. Without him, there's no NWO and uh, whatnot. And it's not often I can have a comic on that not only is a funny dude but shares my love of pro wrestling and this guest today doesn't just share a love of pro wrestling he is a pro wrestler and a comic so uh it's an honor to have the great jay washington you put a lot on that unnecessarily <laughs> that's how i do it i appreciate it you know what it, it is thank you for having me especially you having to follow people you've had uh bischoff would have been one i'd love to just sit here and listen and just say listen how many times did you just want to choke this shit out of vince russo <laughs> well i think the warrior was number one on his choke list. oh of course absolutely the warrior got him for what how many millions of dollars did the warrior get him for well i mean he had the greatest uh and I brought this up with Bischoff. It was live TV. Yeah. Nitro was live back then. Yeah. So when the Warrior came back, uh, you know, it was supposed to be, I think Eric said, an eight-minute segment. And, uh, you know, they had it to go up against the end of Raw. So, you know, it ended up being 28 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't cut away because it was like setting up the Hogan-Warrior rematch, which... <laughs> In theory, should have been the greatest rematch of all time. In theory. The only man to ever cleanly pin Hogan. Um, Is it Yeah, damn, at that is. time. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, because I was like, damn. You know what? It's something funny, too. Did you know Hogan's always been a heel before Bash at the Beat, before the big turn? Oh, yeah. Hogan's always been a heel. You mean a face? No, he's he's been a face to everybody, but he's technically been a heel. When Andre when Andre was going, with Andre coming out, he would interrupt his promos. When uh, Savage was going over, he had to be the face of it. Hogan was doing heel shit for the longest, but we never paid attention to it. That's true. I guess, Looking back, I guess uh, the say your prayers, eat your vitamins, you know, it was kind of bullshit. It was all. It was all bullshit. It was all. Hogan was. He was a scam. But we all. We were so stuck and engulfed in the whole mysticism of Hulkamania. We was like, Hulk Hogan can do no wrong until he joined DWO. We was like, we hate you. Then we took him back. Then we found out he hate black people, and then everybody was wow. split. Like, well, how do you really feel? I was like, well, look, Hulk Hogan's been my hero. Terry Belia's an asshole. I mean, I don't think uh, I needed to hear that tape to know Hogan probably 
wasn't a fan of brothers. Uh, to be from fl- Southern Florida, absolutely yeah. not. I didn't need a go- I didn't need a tape. I didn't need a a sex tape. Any of that to know that. Yeah, Hogan probably ain't that fond of black people. If you're from Jacksonville or Tampa and you're white and you look like Hulk Hogan, like, you absolutely don't like black people. Dog the Bounty Hunter. I mean, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, <laughs> if anybody thought Dog the Bounty Hunter was cool with black people, they are re- they're just as lost as Ben Carson is. Well, I mean, Ben Carson, I would have voted for him if uh, he just seemed a little more interested. It's like, wake up, dude. You know, this is uh, an election debate. He proved to everybody that even though you're a brain surgeon, you can still be a fucking idiot no matter what. He proved it. Well, I mean, it, it these. Uh, hold on, I'm taking a picture here. Uh, let me see. One, two, three. We got. Uh, hold on, it's hard to do this with one hand. Sorry about the dead air. It's a dead oh, it's no problem. We already know. Yeah, people listening. I've He's got Jay uh, sitting right next to. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I made uh, a rash, what you would call impulse uh, purchase <laughs> on uh, ProWrestlingTees.com. I don't get a. Uh, they are not a sponsor, but they treat me well. Uh, of a Kamala shirt. Um, and I looking at it as like, well, it's kind of racist, but I think I could wear it to the gym and I've showed it to three black people so far. And Jay is by far the biggest, uh, that I, I've showed it to. And, uh, Jay kind of gave me the thumbs down on wearing it in public. All the other black people say cool. No, no. They're okay, like, they're trying uh, to get your ass whooped. Is what they try. They, yeah, they, <laughs> they look at Kimchi, who's Kamala's manager, and they say, well, he's kind of looks like he's in uh, blackface, which he isn't. But he I guess isn't, but it, I, it's a mask. But if you look at it, you're like, oh, you got the big black guy holding a little white dude in a blackface. Like, come on, little innocent boy. Like, we don't need this shirt, especially after the gorilla incident. This is the last shirt you need. By the way, I thought that gorilla was a better parent than the mom. Uh, I, mean, I thought that too, till I saw different parts of the video where the gorilla grabbed Shorty up by his ankle and just drug him underwater. Well, he did do that. That did not look good. Uh, <laughs> but the little kid was so fucking calm. Oh, I would have been free. But, you know, there's that one scene, uh, and we're talking about Harambe. Uh, the uh, gorilla, 450-pound uh, silverback uh, gorilla killed at the Cincinnati Zoo this week because uh, an idiot parent let his let her kid run around the fucking... I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. I know I, we're going to talk about wrestling and comedy, but this is topical. I mean, if I'm in, I don't know about your parents. Uh, my mother would have beat the brakes out of me while the gorillas watched. I mean... My dad would have jumped in the gorilla cage, beat up the gorilla, and then beat me up and left me in the gorilla cage. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I mean, my dad was, you know, he was. My mom was for the project. She probably would have threatened the gorilla with a belt. The gorilla probably would have growled, and my mother would have growled back at the gorilla. Then I'd have tried to sneak away. My mother would have beat the shit out of me and told the gorilla, you want some of this. Then the gorilla would have <laughs> ran off whimpering. And that would have probably been all on World Star Hip Hop. It, well, yeah, it's a it, it's a different era now. Uh, YouTube world star, uh, <laughs> but I mean, like my mom would have never let go of my hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not a very political person, but maybe this is a sign we shouldn't have fucking gorillas in in <laughs> cages or you know fake uh, Congo uh, movie set uh, displays, so some fat guy from South Dakota can snap a picture of it. Hey, honey, you want to see this Harambe? Yeah, that's what see, it. Come on, let's go to Cincinnati. Go see Harambe. You won't see Harambe. 
But that's what they do. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. I think they should. You want to take a picture of a 450-pound gorilla? Go to the Congo. Just be <laughs> dropped off like Schwarzenegger and the six other guys in Predator. <laughs> in Predator. And you take, you, if you can survive and snap the photo, you can put it up on Instagram. Some dude named Billy Thompson. Yeah. I ain't scared normally. I've got an autographed picture of that man. Of uh, you got Sonny Landon. Yeah. Uh, this girl he was sleeping with... Uh, she said, hey, Earl, I'm sleeping with some guy who was in 48 Hours, Billy Bonds. I'm like, Billy Bear? Sonny Landham from Predator and Best of the Best? Next time you fuck him, can you get me an autographed picture? He's like, yeah. How does that, how does that work? Like, Because was it autographed to you specifically? Yes. So was she like, before I suck you off, Sonny, I need a favor. I got a fan. Uh, I got a fan who wants an autograph. Come on, baby, hurry up. Sonny doesn't have all day. These pills don't last. You better take a look at this. <laughs> Boyan's body is gone. He's also in uh, Best of the Best, too. Oh, I love Best of the Best. I hate it. The, like, what was it, third or fourth one? Like, third one two. was a little. Uh, yeah, the first two were okay. I mean, the first one I thought was good, you know, and then uh, the second one is like, all right, well, it was just a little. It was like Porky's three. It's just not necessary. Oh, uh, it was unnecessary. Just like Godfather three, unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, they just, they really, uh, well, Porky's three, they're still at Angel Beach High School, and they're in their, clearly all in their early 30s. Uh, clearly all adults. Like, like you just didn't even say, fuck it, you don't even want to drop out. Like, either you're really concerned about your high school diploma, or you're a predator. You're a sexual predator. Or both. I mean, once again, that was in Florida as well. That was well. in Florida, so yeah, there's the potential for the combination always there. But I will say this, the original Porky's still stands up. I remember my mother would not let me watch that. Well, that was like, a, you know, people talk about the American Pie fucking the pie. I mean, they, they were sticking their dicks in the shower hole so the girls can jack Take them off. off. Like, I remember my mother, and I didn't know at first when I was young, I was like, she just don't want me to watch a good movie. And then I got like 18 and I watched, it was like, I see well she didn't want me to watch a good movie. Yeah, I mean now I'm trying to find my place to put my dick in a shower hole, but I'm afraid of who's on the other end now. Well, in that well, in this neighborhood, you know. Yeah, that's that's not gonna be the showers. I'm not gonna no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Well your dick probably can't fit through a regular shower yeah, damn hole. Damn right. Uh <laughs> but I mean you couldn't the movies that I grew up with. Like how old are you? I'm thirty five. I mean I'm forty seven, so I mean I probably I mean, Porky's to me was like my American pop. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, m I remember seeing uh, Pee Wee, the guy who played Pee Wee in Porky's, Dan Monahan, uh, at the DMV, and he had his wife and kids. And I got starstruck, and I left my place in line. I went to go talk to him, and he just puts his hand up and goes, "Dude, I'm with my wife and kids. I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, I get it." <laughs> Well, I'm a fan. And the fact that you lost your place in line at the whole time. Oh, fuck, man. I got to <laughs> wait another three hours. Build that wall, Trump. And make those DMV lines shorter. Uh, but so I don't get... I, I was very lucky to grow up in the era I grew up with. Mm. Like you, like, when you were a teenager, what, late 80s? Early 90s. See, I just... 1980, born 1980. So, like, 90s were all my... The entire 90s. So you grew up with, like, boy bands being big. Yes. And, uh, well, I guess, like... I want it that way. It's best, still one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Ever, ever. So I grew up with all the, I grew up with all the boy bands. I grew up with all the girl groups. I grew up with everything that technology started as. Right. So when everything started, the internet started when I was a teenager. You know, the, your computer looked extra cheesy it looked like a casio or nokia cell phone oh yeah yeah so mm. now 
you know, I've watched, I've grown up and watched the evolution of everything. Oh, evolution. I thought you were talking about the Triple H's. I've watched the evolution of his hair. Yeah. Jesus. When he was in WCW. From from the complete full locks to like his third year when he was like, those steroids are taking effect, Paul. Well, his head's definitely gotten bigger. I mean. Uh, Man, I, he got the Barry Bond syndrome of heads. Yeah, I mean, which is, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, steroids can make your, well, I think it's more growth hormone. Yeah. Can make your skeletal structure literally grow. Your like, bones actually grow. Your feet get bigger. Yep. Like if you're a size 13, you start a couple of years of growth hormones or, or you, you know, you could probably speak better to this than I can, but. I had a bunch of buddies who, you know, we were in the indies and they were doing it. Like they were on cycle heavy. And I was like, dude, what for? You know, everybody's like, I got to try to get looked at. I'm trying to get this ch- this uh, tryout from New York because that's what everybody calls the WWE. They call it New York. So I'm trying to get this, even though it's in when Connecticut. When it's really Stanford, Connecticut. It's in Stanford, Connecticut, but everybody calls it New York. I'm trying to get this tryout for New York. So I got to I gotta get on cycle. Uh, Yeah, but you do realize once you get off cycle, you're going to have Schwartz and negativities. No, nah, bro, I know how to do this. I know how to balance it out. I don't have to do one cycle on, one cycle off, one cycle on. And it was a bunch of guys I know did it. And right now they are managers at sports authorities. Yeah. I mean, how many? Well, not for long. Not for long, by the so way. To get those. Uh, listen, right now, if you like, and I don't, I'm not sponsored by Sports Authority because uh, I doubt they could pay me at this juncture. But if you're looking for sneakers, golf clubs, uh, sweatbands, athletic tape, it, yeah, um, uh, with the thick hiking socks, every sports authority. You just want swim trunks, whatever. Yeah. Baseball bat, maybe. Uh, just want to beat the shit out of somebody. Yeah. Uh, uh, sports authorities, uh, 80% off. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in LA, there's one on Sepulveda and Santa Monica that uh, I go to a lot. But, uh, you know, because it just had, it's like walking into Target. You go in there for like, I don't know, a pair of underarm shorts, and you walk out with, like, you know, workout gloves, yeah. uh, a, you know, a Bowflex, uh, <laughs> you know, home gym. I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite – I always wondered how that, that location made money. It's huge. All of – there's one in Chicago, uh, downtown, like prime downtown, 600 North LaSalle, five fucking levels, and it is massive. And people were always in there, like on the walls on the outside, there's memorabilia from all the Cubs, Sox, Bears, Bulls player, all those, anything from Chicago sports. And people were in there and their prices were not cheap at all. Like this is downtown Chicago, so it's already expensive. Michigan Avenue? No, LaSalle, not even Michigan. This is a little bit west. And everything was expensive. And it was like people were steadily in there. It was just a steady stream of people buying stuff out. And I was like, you know, there's a couple of them further west. Yeah, you might have to go buy, you know, some undesirables, few Mexicans, few black people, a oh, couple, couple white people on cocaine. That's okay, but you'll get cheaper deals. Then there was some out south by me, by uh, Four City Mall, and that was the one I used to always go to when I was wrestling heavy because I would always re-up my tape. i get get like an eight-pack of athletic tape for like $7, $8. For your wrists and ankles? Just my wrists. I had ankle braces. Okay. I had ankle braces. I had braces for my ankles, and I actually, one of my buddies taught me a trick where you get a thin ace bandage, and you brace them, and then you wrap them, so your ankle makes sure you got the perfect support for them, because like with wrestling boots, when you buy them, you're supposed to buy them to tailor make your foot perfect, like a suit. It goes perfectly around your ankle, perfectly around your calf, perfectly up your shin to your foot, so it's perfectly supported. Sometimes that don't always happen. I've seen, buddy, people who've spent four or $500 
tailor-made wrestling boots, still break their ankle in the ring running the ropes. I was like, no, it won't be me. I'm already clumsy enough as it is. And how much were you at your heaviest? 345. And what are you now? 297. All right. But you don't look 297. No, I don't. You look like... I mean, you look, you're a big dude, but you don't look like. No, something. everybody's like, you, you can't be that. And I was like, yeah, thank you. I've learned how to cut my weight. And, you know, cardio has been a great thing, especially being out here in Los Angeles, dude. Everybody wants to be built like a fucking number two pencil. And I'm fine being built like Warren Sapp Jr. So I can keep this size. My agent was like, yo, keep your size and your look. I was like, okay, cool. I will. I'm not finna just be eating green shit all day. Right. So, but yeah, that was one of the things. So people, even smaller or heavy people were rolling and breaking their ankles in their boots. Like guys don't even want to wear boots anymore now. Everybody's wearing wrestling shoes with kick pads. Like, I hate all of you. I understand you can move more. A lot of my best friends who are in the business now still wear them. But I'm like, dude, get some boots. Right. Get some boots. One of my be- good friends is uh, King Ricochet. Prince oh my god that's dude uh, he's he's just went viral with his match with willow spray in japan ricochet is one of my best buddies but been knowing ricochet like almost 10 years and he will never get boots he like i i can't move in them they're too heavy like dude you can get the sole shave lighter you know just get the boot and then put the kick pad over one of my other buddies just got signed to tna well impact wrestling marche rocket he used to wear boots I gave him a pair of wrestling shoes I had, and he kept them ever since. He went to wrestling shoes. And I was like, I get it, but I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a look that, that, that we always had. There's an old school thing. And I understand times change when it comes to wrestling with gear and everything. But boots should always be traditional, no matter what. I mean, TNA, is people still sign with them? <sighs> After the shit, have you seen that horrible promo with Jeff and Matt Hardy? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I haven't watched TNA. Uh, no, it just went on the internet. You didn't have to watch it. No, you didn't have to watch it. It was the video people spread around the internet because that's how horrible it was. I mean, I checked out with them uh, when uh, I think Jeff Hardy was drunk. Which were, time was that? Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's like saying when Kamala was black. Yeah, because like, that was every damn time. When he wrestled uh, Sting and he was so hammered. Oh. Bischoff, you know, it's rare that you see... Uh, a a visual change in the ring, like you can tell. Wow, they just switched the ending. Uh, they just switched the whole match around that quick. Yeah, Bishop basically uh, told him before the match, pin him right now. Uh huh. Like it was literally a ten second match, and you could tell Sting was pretty pissed. And uh, so, yeah. greatest pissed off I think I've ever seen in the ring live. It wasn't nobody being drunk. It was the Brothers of Destruction versus Chronic. Oh my God. Do you Chronic. remember that match? I don't, but I remember Chronic. Who was it? Brian, Brian Adams, Adams and uh, Kit, not, Brian. Uh, a big, huge yeah, guy. It was crushing Adam Bomb, basically. Right. It's crushing Adam Bomb. And they brought, they were doing the whole WCW invasion angle and they wrestled The Undertaker and Kane in the pay per view. And they kept blowing so many spots. You knew it was bad because The Undertaker literally yells out, fuck, like seven times. And you could just see Kane on the ropes like, like they both out of character came like I don't even know what to tell you dude like they were just pissed I've seen that happen where the matches have changed or you have a lot of you know people who get fucked up I've been in the presence of Jimmy Superfly Snooker post murder when he was allegedly allegedly alleged post murder we here at inappropriate do not condone (laughs) the the alleged actions yeah we don't but I was around Snooker where he was getting fucked up before show I've been around a couple other legends 
who told us about them potentially killing hookers and their friend who was with them who was a cop was like i don't think you're supposed to be saying this and the rest of us was like did we just fucking hear this was it big boss man hell no i, I wouldn't be surprised if boss man killed a hooker but i would not at all well, I mean, uh, I, I used to uh, go to XPW shows, uh, which was, uh, I talked about them briefly on this uh, podcast. I mean, they were owned by a porn guy, Rob Black, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they got shut down because he put up on their website he was going to kill a puppy, and he had like the countdown clock with a picture of like a, a puppy in a cage. And I, I think uh, PETA and the ASPCA <laughs> shut the, the, the whole. That's crazy. But they were like, uh, I've never been to a PWG show. And I know that's all the rage. Yeah. Uh, XPW shows. And they would have them at Birmingham High in the Valley. Were the craziest shows I've ever seen. It was like uh, uh, ECW with no money. Oh, um, and oh, they, uh, oh. They had a guy, Supreme. Yeah, I know that name. Yeah, that name rings a bell. He's about your size, yeah. but sh- how tall are you? I'm 5'10". I would say he might have been 5'9", but your size. Yeah. And he, uh, they had him, the, for some reason they had the, uh, the ring was, uh, three sides of it were roped, and they had an open uh, side where there's no ropes, which is crazy. Like, I was like, wow, that's kind of dangerous. And, yeah, why would you do that? So they had him climb a ladder on the outside, and it was clear that this ladder was bought at, like, a swap meet in Temecula. He gets to the top of the ladder. Of course, it doesn't support him. He falls on the open side of the ring, ribs right on the edge of the apron. <gasps> and this was not fake. Um, <gasps> this was not uh, a spot. He's down for 10 minutes literally not moving and the girl next to me is crying i'm like what why are you crying she's like oh that's my husband so about 10 minutes later they force him to get up i know rob black said listen you fucking bastard you get in that ring right now so they put an even bigger ladder in the ring which is even wobblier than the first one and they're pointing him toward the open side of the ring where he's supposed to land on a table of like light bulbs and barbed wire and uh, you know, I think they lit it on fire at one point. Oh. They push him off the ladder, but the ladder was so tall, it overshot the table. Oh. <laughs> so he ends up landing on the cement floor, no padding, oh. from probably, I would say, 50 to 60 feet high in the air. Oh. And uh, How loud was that thud when he hit the ground? It was like a... Whap, and I'm sitting in the the stands as high up as you can be, uh, because they had the locker room. It wasn't even a locker room; it was just a taped off area with curtains, and I could look over and uh, see everybody getting. Uh, so I, I was kind of into that at the time, and uh, they had to stop the show. And uh, I mean, XPW. If any of you old school SoCal uh, wrestling fans are around, you know what I'm talking about. They had the ring announcer would come to the the ring in a Nazi outfit doing the goose step to see Heil, the crowd, and the crowd was loving the guy. What? They had a, I think I, I'm, now listen to me when I say this word. It, it, I'm going to say, I, I, I have to get across how wacky this was. Their tag team champ, champs were the West Side niggas. Yeah, yeah. But they had t-shirts that people could buy worth a hundred times worse than that Kamala shirt. Kids were buying these shirts. 
So uh, it was. Mommy, mommy, listen. Yeah. I want a wet side niggas t shirt. And they had them in like kid sizes. <laughs> wait, well, what did. Wait, they had them in specific kid sizes. Yeah. These were like, oh, just get them a, a small yeah, little. Yeah, a doll. Uh, like Earl. The Earl's. A, <laughs> and I mean, they had a gay wrestler named Angel whose finishing move was he'd hit you or whatever. You know, he'd, he'd get you. Uh, you know, like Triple H puts you in the pedigree and he, he slams yes. you. Yes. Angel would hit you in the stomach or whatever, and you would end up on all fours. And instead of the ref hitting Matt three times, Angel would pump you in the ass three times. It was so fun. They were crazy. I kind of missed them. <laughs> and they had like a weekly show on KDOC, which is like a really obscure. Oh, I'm sitting there looking at it. Oh, fucking. Uh, I'm looking at it. <laughs> On Wikipedia, Shane I mean, Douglas was a part of this at one point. They had, uh, I, I think the big names when I used to go to their shows, because I went to one show at the LA Sports Arena, uh, Terry Funk and Sabu was the yeah. main match. Um, who, who was, uh, Vic Grimes was uh, in them, uh, New Jack was... Uh, Shout out to my Uncle Jack. Uh, yeah, he headbutted me once at a comedy show. That so, sound, did you know he was trying to do stand-up for a while? Uh, he was standing behind the microphone. Yeah, I, that's why I said trying, oh, right. and I didn't say he was doing stand up. I said trying. He went to a show at Lucky Strike Bowling Lanes. I was uh, running with my ex girlfriend, and he sits down. I'm like, "Oh my god, that's fucking New Jack!" So I was hosting, and you know, bringing up the people. I'd do a couple uh-huh. wrestling zingers in there, and uh, he grabs me by the arm from the booth and headbutts me pretty hard. And he's like, "You're fucking funny, Holmes," and I'm like, "Uh, thanks." Like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> His way to say you funny is to headbutt the shit out of like, you. Hard, like, for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there is no. For you, it'd probably be like, oh. No, uh, no, it's not. No. You know, I haven't taken a headbutt in years for anybody. The worst headbutt I've ever taken in wrestling was from a woman, uh, Mickey Knuckles. She was Moose Knuckles in TNA. <laughs> <laughs> she was Moose. I swear to God, that was the name they decided to give her. I Moose. believe it. That was the name they decided to give her. And Mickey used to, we worked together in IWA Mid-South. For those, everybody knows the history behind Ian Rotten being, you know, horrible as a promoter sometimes. And sometimes he's good to the guys. What do you mean horrible? Not paying? Racist? Not paying. Well, racist, no, he wasn't. You know, he used to be part of ECW. He's part of Bad Blood with Axel Rotten. Oh, wow. So it's him and Axel. And he would bring Axel in every now and then. But Ian was, like, notorious for stiffing guys on pay. Like, he was, he was having, the shows weren't even packed. It would be maybe 10, 20 people in a place with 300 chairs set up and uh, we would do shows. We all, all the guys and girls, we had a great, we, we loved doing what we do at the time, but you know, we were expecting to get paid. People were paying their bills off indie wrestling. And Ian was bringing people in who were coming in from Canada, coming from the East coast. And he was selling concessions, t-shirts, DVDs, everything. And afterwards we'd be like, uh, guys, I'm the gate's short. Uh, what the fuck about these concessions? And this is before or after the show. This is after the show. It's so, uh, I mean, you're kind of fucked. You, I mean, what do you do? You, that's, and that's the thing. It's like, what do you do? You know, guys sitting around, guys and girls sitting around like, shit. And all you hear is, well, I got enough to get you some gas money. Well, I didn't come all the way out here for just gas money. You know, some people didn't have a regular nine to five at the time. Some people, this was all they did. And I felt sorry for a lot. Of, I did a show. One of my last shows I did was for a promotion in Chicago. And uh, they brought in Lince Dorado. Lindsay and I got cool when I did Chikara with the Soul Touches. Lindsay's always been a buddy. And Lindsay came in from Florida. And dude was like, yo, I ain't got no money to pay you. Lindsay was like, the fuck do you mean? 
This was like two years ago. And these are big guys. No, Lindsay is a little dude, but he can kick your ass. Probably. Yeah, but he's so respected in the business. Like you don't want to fuck him over. He's one of those people that can put the word out where bigger names will never want to come in. Right. You know, and it's I've seen that happen numerous times, numerous times. But uh, now, why don't you guys, as someone who's dealt with shady comedy promoters, I always uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm like, hey, I need to get if I think a gig's even remotely shady, I'm like, I need to be paid now before Before I even perform. Yep. Was there ever a thought of that or you guys were so not desperate, but like eager to like. So we did. So it was uh, Team Dammit, myself, Willie the Bomb, Richardson, and C Red. We drove out from Chicago to Sterling, Illinois, I believe it was. Like three and a half hours on a Sunday. It was supposed to be this big, this big show. It was a charity show. It was a fundraiser, but all the guys were going to get paid their regular amounts that they asked for. So we we knew it was for charity, so we didn't ask for the full amount. We took a small cut that we were going to split between the three of us. And then we started looking. We pulled up. It was maybe an hour before bell time. It's like 12 cars in the parking lot. So we looked. So I told him before we got in the car, I told Red and Willie, I said, listen, I don't know about y'all, but I'm telling him when we walk in the door, before we even put on a boot, we need to get paid right now. Now, he didn't brought in uh, one of the finalists from Tough Enough. Uh, he brought in Mantar, which why the fuck does anybody want to see Mantar? I'm sorry. I, he's a cool dude, but to say 1985. Who is Mantar? As big of a wrestling fan oh as God, I am, I don't know who he is. Go pull up your phone, Mantar. He was like, he was Get a jobber. Team. Vince McMahon had him be a half man, half centaur. He wore a bull head to the rings. It was so awkwardly horrible. You know, there were a lot of horrible gimmicks, but he booked him, Joey Grunge, a bunch of us. So before. You know, we got, I told him, I said, hey, come in for a second. I was like, yo, we need to get paid now. He was like, well, I don't have it now. I said, no, 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 no. You need to come up with the money now because we're not going to do shit until you pay us. Well, I don't have it now, but I can give you half. All right, well, give us half right now. 20 minutes go by. He doesn't even have half again. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. So we're like, uh, you need to figure this out. It got to the point the wrestlers started threatening to beat him. Yeah, absolutely. I am, uh, I, you know, this is audio only, guys. So uh, if you go on, uh, just uh, Google Mantar, M A N T A R, wrestler, you'll get a very funny visual. <laughs> kind of looks like a girl I know, but uh, it's a you're hilarious. So we, uh, so we did the show. So afterwards, we're like, yo, can we get paid? He was like, well, I didn't make any money. I don't know what to do. It got to the point half the wrestlers were ready to beat his ass. The dude's mama and daddy had to stand in front of him to try to protect him. And one of them dudes was like, I don't give a fuck if your parents are here. I will kick the shit out of them too. I was like, well, this is the part where the black guy stepped to the side because you didn't got to the point where you threatening parents. Uh, We would threaten his parents, but we're like three and a half hours away from Chicago. We won't make it back. So yeah, we've dealt with a lot of those. And then... uh what got you into comedy? I always, so I always crack jokes, naturally. I never said I was always a comedian. I just always crack jokes. I just always had the personality. And one of the things was a lot of promoters didn't want to let me get on the mic. So one time when we were in Windy City Pro Wrestling, we had this big show and it was all the factions in the ring. And the head of one of the factions, who was the owner of the company, Sam DeSero, was saying something and he was on the mic and he was yelling and he was going and somebody else was supposed to grab the mic. And I just snatched the mic and said, shut up yelling before you have a stroke. 
And everybody just was like, whoa. And I just started going. And everybody else that was trying to take the mic, I was just letting them have it, joke form. But I've always been like that. And then uh, I used to write like just funny statuses on Facebook, just randomly do it. And a girl who had an entertainment company at the time, she was like, have you ever thought about doing stand-up? I was like, kind of, but I never knew how to get directly into it. Right. You know? So she was like, I'll introduce you to this spot uh, to go do an open mic or whatever. She was like, you just got to write some jokes. I was like, wait, just write five minutes worth of jokes? That's not necessary. I was like, all right, whatever. So I did it. And the first night I did it, it was at the Checkerboard Lounge in Chicago. It's legendary. It's torn down now. Uh, I killed my first night. I was like, man, I got this in the bag. The next week I went back, wrote a whole nother five minutes, and I bombed so hard. I was like, what the hell happened? And I proceeded to repeatedly bomb because I was too cocky. I've been there. You know, and then I had to realize, like, oh, you got to have a set. Not necessarily. Well, not necessarily, but that's what I thought at at first. This is what I was thinking at first. Oh, you need a set. Oh. So I started, you know, learning how to do that. And then everybody started. I was wrestling still and doing stand-up at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I was wrestling still doing stand-up at the same time. And I... um. I was end up my last what made me stop wrestling was for a while. I was married in a wrestling program to Kurt, to Corporal Robinson at JCW. Of course, married terminology means you you're going to be doing a bunch of matches with them for a long period of time. And Corporal's a friend of mine. Corporal's a friend of mine. So he was like, "Yo, you feel like doing this? You interested in doing that? Doing this?" I was like, "Yeah." So I'm taking chair shots to the head, no hand up. I'm taking kendo stick shots. I'm doing moon salts off the top outside. And all of a sudden, my neck started hurting and my back was hurting. And I went to a chiropractor and it was like, your neck is supposed to bend like a backward C. Mine was going straight up and down. She was like, your vertebrae are going to fuse. Whatever you're doing, because they didn't know what I was doing. It was like, whatever you're doing, you're going to have to stop. Well, I started doing stand-up. So I started picking it up slowly, you know, getting more into stand-up. And she gave me some of the tips to naturally make the curve of my neck go back. So I started getting my neck back, my neck curved back normal. And then I was like, oh, but I'm doing stand-up. I'm having fun doing this. And then I started getting paid every now and then. I was like, oh, I'm getting good at this. Then I was like, wait, I can do 30 minutes on stage and all I need is a water. I do 30 minutes in the ring. I need a nap for two days. I think I know which one I'll choose. Because you've opened up for some big uh, big names, which uh, Robert Kelly's awesome. Uh, Tommy Davidson. Is Tommy, Tommy's been like a big brother to me in comedy altogether. He's giving me so much advice that I tell everybody I, I'm grateful for it completely. I mean, Lonnie Love. She's such a sweetheart. Skippy Price. That was weird. When I was like, yeah, I'm open for Skippy for family ties. But he's not really necessarily a comic, right? He, 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 I'm not asking you to talk bad no, about no, him. I he's just, like, you know, if you bring the 90s into today's. Now, I'll tell you who I will talk bad about. I hate Jimmy Walker with a fucking passion. Well, let's let's not many people <laughs> name names, but uh, dynamite. I don't. You know, I met Jimmy Walker at Riddles in Chicago, and uh, he's like a self-hating black dude that hates black people. He's like a really old Montel Williams, and like I knew it when a, a black lady, like a black lady, was at his show, and he was shocked that there were black people there to see him. Like, uh, motherfucker, you're JJ. People want to see you. Good times, right? Which he hates people calling him JJ, but he sells merchandise of him as JJ from Good Times. So the black lady after the show, she was so excited to see him. It was iconic. She wanted to see him. 
And he was like, she was like, can I get a picture? He was like, well, normally I don't take pictures, but whatever. So she's so excited. She's fiddling with her phone. My God, don't you know how to get your camera to work? I'm like, you asshole. Don't you see this woman's excited and nervous? I was like, I hate you. I just wish you'd fall down a flight of fucking stairs. I just, <laughs> I just sometimes I feel, people are like, how do you say that about Jimmy Walker? Because I can. Because that's how I feel. Well, that's why I will give Rob Schneider, uh, I opened for him for four years, and I can say that not one time was he rude to a fan. Not even. Yeah. Like fan, And they're a very similar fame level. I mean, I would say he's more current. Than, uh -huh. uh, people would wake him up on a plane. He, oh, he wow. Would, uh, you know, oh, my God, it's just Bigelow. You know, we got to get his autograph. Uh, you know, it was just insane. I had no idea how famous he was till I started working with him and just... People would act like the Beatles were going through the airport. Like everyone would stop, and uh, not once. We always signed, took pictures. So, and Russell Peters, same thing. Yeah, uh, that's one. And that's one thing I learned. That was one of the things early in stand up because I met him early in my career, and I was like, how, how can you be that much of an asshole to fans, especially? And again, to say you're shocked to see black people at your shows tells me how much how disconnected you are. Because he was like, man, all my shows are normally all white. First of all, I get it. But your show was one of the most prominent shows in African-American households. Oh, my God. Because it really, even though it was white writers, I thought Good Times did a a, a great job of capturing the, the, the struggles of a, a lower income black family. It absolutely did. So why would you not, you know, if you're Jimmy Walker, why would you not think you would have, if black people heard you were somewhere, they, you know, you have people who are nostalgic. They want to see you, especially hearing that you used to be a stand-up. Now to see you as a stand-up, why would you think they wouldn't? And then to be an asshole to them, I'm like, nah, everybody I've ever worked with, I've ever met who's been on a higher level. And like you said, with Rob and other people I've met, they're always willing to talk to fans, take a picture. Sometimes they're they're human like you and I. You know, they have times where they don't want to be bothered, but sometimes they're just like, you know what? I'll suck it up for this moment. I mean, you know, I, I get it. You know, you're I try not to bother celebrities when they're eating or like Oh yeah. You know, they're you can tell they're just getting off a flight. They're uh you know, but uh like the case of Jimmy Walker's, it's like, dude, you know, it's not like you've been busy the last couple of years. You should be happy <sighs> people still want to pay you. Uh, or see you or see you or take man. a picture with you uh so you know it's one thing if you're tom hanks he's you know i'm sure like i can't take every picture i'll, I'll, I'll be taking pictures all day but like i saw mickey i met mickey rourke in person a couple weeks ago i was uh in the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box sitting in a car and he was in the car next to me and i looked over and i was like i know who this is but i couldn't put two and two together and he had this little pomeranian that kept fucking barking i was like oh cute little dog then i realized who he was and i was like hey I'm a fan. I appreciated what you did in the wrestler. And that's how we had a conversation. I was like, I've been a wrestler. I was a wrestler for 14 years. So him and I had like a 25, 30 minute conversation. He was super cool. I didn't ask for a picture because he was sitting in the car, but we just talked. He was like, I hope to see you around. I was like, yeah. Now, I don't know if there's regular Hollywood BS, but he was super cool to talk, especially since I found common ground with him. I will say this. He goes to my gym. Uh, I don't want to mention the gym's name because I don't want people bothering him. There. Uh -huh. He is that nice. Yeah, super cool dude. Because my friend was a casting director on Con Air. <laughs> and Mickey Rourke was brought in for the John Malkovich part. And I guess during the audition, now you're in an audition room with Jerry Bruckheimer, my friend Matt Barry, who's like a top, top, top uh, casting guy. Uh -huh. And the scene starts, and Mickey Rourke lights a cigarette and puts it out on Matt Barry's leg. Like, 
because he wanted to show, hey, I'm a bad, I can play Cyrus Grissom. I'm a badass. And uh, he didn't get the part, went to John Malkovich, but uh, I brought that story up to him. He's like, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but I've had uh, other celebrity encounters that may, uh, made me not like the person, so. Oh, yeah, you have have a few that you're like, I just wish you'd fall down a flight of stairs backwards. Well, it's just like one time I was coming out of my doctor's office, I see John Saxon, and, uh, you know, if you've ever seen the Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon. Yep. He was the guy who had the gambling problem. Kind of a good-looking older guy. It was the He's black the guy with the afro. Yeah. Then there was Bruce Lee, and then there was a good-looking uh, semi-older white guy who uh, ends up it fucking was, the That was hot. Jim Kelly, the black dude yeah. with the afro. Bullshit, Mr. Handman. Yeah. <laughs> and then the cool white guy. And I saw the cool white guy, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Saxon, Enter the Dragon. It's like Star Wars of karate movies. I'm a big fan. Can I get an autograph? He's like, I don't have the time. It's like, What? Hey, you were the dad in the three original Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street movies. That's what I said to myself. I'm like, dude, you haven't been in anything since Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Time, you have time. You have nothing but time. But, you know, then O.J. Simpson was my neighbor as a kid. Awesome to me. So, there you go. I mean, you might be able to get an autograph from him. He might try to sell yeah, it again. I'm, I want my shit back. Oh, my shit. I know Mike. Mike's the motherfucker that got my shit. That's my favorite part of that whole thing is he's on tape literally saying, this is a robbery. Is I a want rob- my shit back. And OJ's lawyer was like, there's no evidence that this is a robbery. Like he's on tape. We hear him clear as day saying nobody move. I want my shit back. I want back. my shit. Yeah, I know Mike. Mike's the motherfucker that got my shit. Which is why I'm convinced that if OJ was caught on tape doing the murders, people would be like, that's not him in the video. That, look, so what he has on those Bruno Moglies? Yeah, yeah, it looks like he's running through Hertz. That is not him. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to meet celebrities. Uh, it just will it would break my heart, even at my age, if, like, uh, they were, like, not cool or, you know, whatever. But Dolph yeah. Ziggler is an awesome dude. Super. You know what? A lot of the guys uh, that, that actually work on the WWE right now are super cool because they realize – it's different from the 90s where guys in the 90s had they were arrogant I'm like i ain't going nowhere i'm good i got a i got job security where guys now realize uh at a moment's notice i could be future endeavored bunch of my buddies are currently on the wwe roster uh i love got much love for callisto him and i trained together so it's so good to see somebody i started out with to know what he's gone through and where he is now uh, I've done so many shows with Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. It's I fu- love Seth. Tyler Black and John Moxley is fucking ridiculous. Uh, Cesaro met him when I did King of Trios for Chikara in Philly. Super cool dude. Uh, Daniel Bryan when he was there met him. King of Trios. David Otunga is a personal good friend of mine. Even though he still he still has a job because I know that look. Everybody's like he still has a job. Yes, he's doing a lot of TV and films, but he still has a job. Um, who else do I know that's on Summer Rae? I know Summer Rae. Uh, who else do I know that's currently on the roster? It's a big roster. Yeah, I know a lot of the, of course, I know I met Samoa Joe. I met Samoa Joe. We did a show together. And our greatest memory of Samoa Joe is when he beat the dog shit out of Steve Boss for 15 and a half minutes. Legitimately? Like, you know. Did they have heat? No, it was just Boss went in the match thinking he was the shit. And Joe was like, uh, no, you're not. Because <laughs> we were watching in the back. I never forget. You saw a whole roster of wrestlers say, fuck their matches, fuck everything in dress, sat around a small TV and watched the ass whooping that Samoa Joe put on from ding, ding to ding, ding. 
greatest shit ever. Now, what makes uh, that guy take that? Like, I'm sure at one point it's like, hey, fuck you. Because Boz still believes he'll get signed one day. And I love you, Boz, but you know that's what the hell it is. <laughs> Boz believes he's still, if I show these guys, I know I know how to sell, brother. And I could take this ass with my brother to, you know, send New York a call. No, nah, they're not. They're not calling. Well, New York may call, but Connecticut. Connecticut's not calling. Yeah. Um, now, do you think Seth Rollins, so would you say you know Seth Rollins? Yes. Would you say he feels bad about ruining my favorite wrestler of all time, uh, Sting's uh, neck? And <laughs> it was a, come on, man. It was a mistake. He knows it. But uh, who called? Let me ask you this: since who I called it Sting, probably. But like you, because this is great. Because I'm such a Sting fan, which is the original reason I was put on Piper's podcast. Because Piper knew I loved Sting. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And he's like, just come on and talk about why you don't like what they're doing with him and. Uh, and then it kind of took off from there. But like, okay, so I'm assuming that Sting was booked for the win just to give him like mm -hmm. a two-week title run just so you could bring him into the Hall of Fame saying he had the WWE title. He's the only guy, uh, you think of all the wrestlers in the world, uh, you know, that have been with both, both organizations. He is the only guy, if he would have won, to have the WCW, WWE, and TNA Heavyweight, they WWE probably wouldn't have promoted the TNA angle, but like, because they still shit on TNA hard. Oh, they should. Just, oh, they do it so bad, especially with AJ Styles now. But go. <laughs> so I'm assuming Sting was booked to just get a quick win. Probably lose to Triple H the next night, but just it had to be in his contract. I have to win the championship at some point. Yeah. So, because if you watch that match, you could see Sting take the first. What's it called? The the Bronco Buc but buckle bomb. See, take the first one. Looked like okay, fuck. That was some pretty severe whiplash. And then the second one was even the second one. You was like, oh, oh. You're like, oh, that's a 56 year old man. He's not. So but again, here's the whose fault is that? In my heart, I want to say it's Seth Rollins' fault because Sting at 56 has been in there with everyone from Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior. The guy knows how to take a bump, right? But you got to remember, Sting also has to agree to take shit like this. Because Seth Rollins, Seth is going to be that type of dude who he's always had respect for the vets, no matter what. No matter what he does, what he can do, and what he will do, he will always have respect for the veterans who come before him. Especially if you got respect for him. And we always know that Steph, Sting has a lot of respect for Seth Rollins. So he probably was like, I got an idea. How do you feel about it? If you don't want to do it, we don't have to. Sting more than likely was like, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. So the first one happened. You, are you good? Yeah. The second one happened. Sting runs the ropes and just, he gets thrown into the ropes and just collapse. And now, what happens there? Like, uh, it, it, at what point do you think Seth Rollins knows, oh, fuck, he's hurt? You can tell the way he fell. The way he fell. Because uh, it was supposed to be a clothesline or something. That he's supposed to take, and the way he just took it was horrible. So when you saw it, you just looked, was like, this ain't right. That's why he stood back for a minute while the ref went and talked to Sting. Now, what the ref is like, Steve, are you okay? Basically, like Steve, what how do you feel? And, and Steve then Sting, was like, What do you think? I know you can't say exactly, but what, what do you Sting says, no, I'm hurt. I'm I'm hurt. I'm legit hurt. And then so now the ref basically is telling him, look, he's legit hurt, take it home. Just take it home. Now, is there? A, I know uh, when a wrestler is uh, at least back in uh, you know five six years ago, when a wrestler was legit hurt, they would make the X. They still do. They, it depends on how the severity of the injury. Like 
if it seems like it's almost a paralysis, like the Enzo, like the way Enzo's neck whipped off the rope, and they were like, he's out cold. That was like, you didn't know if his neck was broke. You didn't know what was going on. So they threw up the X. With Sting, he walked and he stumbled after he took it. Almost like he was having a stroke. Right. You didn't know what was going on. So it was like, we don't want to call the X yet. Let's see what he can do. Because, you know, Sting's the type of guy that's like, I can still finish. Just take it home. You know, if even switch to finish. Tell him go over. You know, let's switch it up. Um, it depends. It depends. Sometimes you got guys who... Or I'm gonna finish the match regardless. Again, credit is due to Brock Lesnar, right? The WrestleMania, he, uh, the shooting star uh, against Kurt Angle. Yep, against against Kurt Angle, the shooting star where he damn near killed himself. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, and he every shot off a trampoline. <laughs> but here's the thing: you know he can do that. He, oh, I know he could. That was the reason they, he was in OVW, teamed up with Batista, and they did a dark match, and he did that in a dark match. And when he could do, when they saw he could do that flawlessly, they were like, oh, we're bringing him up to the main roster now. So they did. He had, early in the day, he had did flips. He had did practice flips. He hit it all the time in the practice. The night leading up to WrestleMania. Just so happened on a big stage, you choke. I mean, Jesus. Well, I was saying, even when... Because Angle looked like he was a little farther away than he should have been. I'm like, fuck, that's... I know he's a great athlete and all, but from a dead... It's not like he was running into that. He was like a dead, you know... <laughs> like, oh, Jesus Christ, can he make that? And he didn't. <laughs> he didn't even make the full rotation. Because everybody remembers he goes up, he goes half over, and he goes down. Like, oh, shit! Because I'll never forget, we were at my apartment in Chicago. It was me and a bunch of buddies of mine. And we were watching that. We were like, well, he's dead. Like, everybody was like, no. Like, you know, people say when he's dead, he's joking. Right. We was like, no, he's dead. Like, we just watched Brock Lesnar die. I mean, you're thinking that's got to be a broken neck, possibly. I mean, his neck kind of hit the mat and angles, I guess, like. And all his like, body weight went on that. So he was like, ugh. Now, get, getting back to the difference, we talked about 80s, 90s, and now in wrestling. Like, And I'm wearing a Rick Rude t-shirt. Absolutely. Oh, you fat, lazy, lazy, out of shape. (laughs) Sweat hogs. I'm this close to buying a pair of $1,500 Rick Rude worn tights on eBay right now. I just, I just, I don't (laughs) know. To do what with the earth? Well, I've got two shows coming up where I'm doing, uh, uh, I'm not plugging shows, but on June 21st at Meltdown, they are doing the uh, historical roast of Macho Man. Oh, why can I not do that? And I can put you in touch with the guy. Maybe come out as Kamala or something in a wheelchair. Yeah, that, with my with my legs. Take, That'd I'll be, be so fucking I'll be funny. just getting off a plane by then, coming back. So, but uh, so uh, and then uh, June fourteenth, I have a, a roast battle. I'm I'm not at liberty to say against who. Okay, but it's in the belly room at the comedy store, and uh, I would like to make a wrestling inspired uh, entry. I basically would wear these tights twice. Okay, I can I can, I can understand. But I'm all about the uh, I don't know if aura is the right word, but I believe like like if you gave me a shirt, I'm going to the gym after this podcast, uh-huh. and if you gave me a shirt that Sting wore at the gym, I would believe I'm stronger. Like I'm. Oh, I can see that. Like I can it's see a that. weird Tony Robbins uh, like mind, you know. The secret. If you gave me a shirt <laughs> that your Rick Rude wore, I would feel like my body's better just from putting the shirt on. <laughs> dun, 
So, but we talk about Sting and Rollins, how they're matching to do to injury. Now, Rick Rude's last match was against Sting in Japan. Uh-huh. And he got injured. Because they apparently had uh, a loose board. The ring on, uh, not risers, but a platform. On a platform, yeah. And outside the ring, Sting threw uh, Rude against it. I guess his lower back. Exploded uh, a vertebrae. A two, I think. Oh, yeah, I know, it was, I know it was at least one. And I remember hearing about that one. I'm assuming Rude and Sting were friends. Our friend, well, we're friends. We're friends. Uh, and Rude finished the match. Like, they went another, like, six, seven minutes. Uh-huh. And at one point, uh, Sting body slammed Rude after this. Uh, like, what do you think? Do you think Rude says to Sting, hey, fuck, I'm hurt, but let's. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Go easy on me? Or like, Fini- why didn't Rude say, I, I. Finish the match. Because he's that tough. That's tough. Finish the match. Again, remember, Foley lost an ear. Oh, fuck, dude. That's crazy. Remember, Foley lost an ear. Finish the match. You, you. Foley got thrown off a fucking cage through a table off the top of a cell, and Taker literally is on the top yelling, is he dead? Because he thinks he's really fucking dead. They're telling Mark, you just sell. We'll deal with him. They're guys who their toughness knows no boundary. Do you think in the end, like, and, you know, I always would get sad with Piper when we we talk about matches, and, you know, I'd realize, fuck, three other four people in this match we're talking about are dead. Do you think, like, in a case like Rude, his toughness ultimately led to his death because he had to take pain pills? And- yeah, absolutely. Because these guys and girls, they go so hard. Like, now, you're going to start seeing that again with the women in the WWE. And I say that because this is a new generation of women wrestlers. And these these ladies are going hard. These ladies, are, I give up all the credit in the world to Sasha Banks oh, and Becky Lynch. And especially Bailey, little ass over in NXT, they go, they're like, listen, you're not going to hold me as a diva. Because that's what they were trying to completely break that stereotype. Sarah Del Rey has completely helped that. If, if you know about her wrestling career, she was amazing. She would work the guys and she wouldn't give a shit how big or small. And the guys would be like, listen, Sarah, what do you want to do? And she was like, let's do what you would do with him. You sure? She said, yeah. All respect in the world. So what happens is because these guys are, entertainers as well as athletes these guys and girls are entertainers as well as athletes they're going to give you the best thing you can see they're going to get the best of themselves every time even when they're in paint again you gotta remember they're on the road 200 some days a year we only see uh raw smackdown maybe a main event an nxt or a pay-per-view we don't see the house shows we don't see what they go through though through those moments too. So yeah, these guys they're taking pain pills and they're trying not to, but their bodies are like, listen, I I hurt. Now, does that fall on them or the company? I believe Vince should cut their schedules. That ain't gonna happen. Right. He's making he's generating too much money. And too- you, like I went to a house show uh at the forum. It's like about two months ago. It was a really bizarre house show. Like Big names, not mm-hmm. televised, no, uh, very scaled down, but like Lesnar was there, uh, and, uh, Dolph Ziggler, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, who, who Lesnar wrestled? He was wrestling Alberto Del Rio and gave, who was probably the luckiest man in the world right now. Well, we'll talk about that, <laughs> but he took like five suplexes and then 
who came to save him, uh, Rusev. Rusev took three or four suplexes from Lesnar, and it was like, this is just a house show. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how sore Alberto Del Rio's upper back. I mean, he took them perfectly. I like landed just where he should have. But my God, this is three times a week he's got to do this. Maybe more. That's why I give John Cena all the credit in the world. And people hate to give Cena credit. Cena may always go over, but Cena will take an ass whooping. Daddy will. He takes ass whoopings. And people forget about that. Like, remember when him and Lesnar fought at SummerSlam, Lesnar beat the dog shit out of him. And at some point, people have to remind Brock. Like, people forget, Brock is mentally still UFC MMA. He's gotten a little bit better now. But when he first came back, they had to say, uh, Brock, listen, bruh, you're not doing the same thing you were just doing eight months ago. Can you please remember how to throw a punch and not kill somebody? Right. Can you remember how to choke somebody and make it look like you're hurting them? Brock was like, I got this. No, you don't. Everybody has whiplash. You know, so... Yeah, the pain pills become a problem because, again, that's why Kurt Angle left. Remember, Kurt was like... Because his neck was all fucked. He was like, I'm hurt. He was like, I need time off. And Vince McMahon told him, and I quote, heel on the road. (laughs) How? Because not only are you in and out the ring, traveling takes a toll on your body. Oh, absolutely. You you get out, you're done with the show, you're done with the show, 9, 10, 10, 11 o'clock, you're hungry, so you're going out to get something to eat, more than likely. So you're out to 12 one, get back at your hotel to try to air your gear out, pack up to get up the next morning, whether it be a flight or a drive. You got to sit in the car sometimes or sit on a plane to go to another town to get ready to be in a place to check in by two, three o'clock for production, especially if it's a TV day. Because if, if it's a TV day, they got to be there. Raw starts at seven on the East Coast, eight East Coast, seven Central. So they have to be there four or five hours before then. Their bodies are beat up. So, you know, a lot of people don't give them credit. Like we talk, we boo. Yeah, yeah, they, they put a lot on the line for people. But yeah, the pain pillars, painkillers and the pills may pop back up. And you got to work out. And, and got to work out. And I don't mean for like 20 minutes on the elliptical like no. I do. No. You're talking to look like Goldberg. Right his, back. Oh, my God. Listen, Roy's growth hormone or not, that's still a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what? You know, it's not like you just take these pills and you get bigger. Well, that's why they call Seth Rollins CrossFit Jesus. Is that his thing? That's all he does. But he looks like, not to sound gay, which is probably too late, but... <laughs> Anytime someone says, well, I'm not gay, but... Uh, when you say, but, uh, you're like... But, yeah. It's like I have a buddy who's pretty homophobic. His first line is, well, I'm not homophobic, but these fags... Uh, yeah, you've already... Seth Rollins has a body that I was like, that's how, what I want to look like. Muscular, but like not like Ryback. Who, the, who would want to look like Ryback? I mean, I guess a lot of people do, but like... Yeah. And I love Seth Rollins, even though he almost decapitated my 56-year-old icon. <laughs> I mean, how's, how's, how's Sting getting the Hall of Fame with 0-2 record in the WWE? Which I, I think may, you it's know insanity. what? Insanity. It was, it was dumb. It was dumb. I was like, you could have just waited. But then he had to say, I'm retired, I'm done. I didn't, uh, He should have beat Triple H. I mean, it makes no sense. It, uh, no sense at all. I mean, I've, this, it's for a year and a half, I've thought, okay, uh, let, let me think this. Oh, it makes, I, I t- talked about this with Piper. 
uh, I remember once there was a WWE head writer up at the store, and, and uh, someone was told him, "Hey, we got this guy who's a major Sting fan. You know, we've all tried to talk sense to him about how it makes sense." And he, he sat there for an hour trying to explain to me the WWE and, and Vince's mindset. I'm like, it makes no sense. None. You at lose all. less money. You Sting losing to Triple H at WrestleMania, like. No fa no young kid who doesn't know who Sting is at the time, which is a lot of people, mm -hmm. which is crazy for guys like you and me. Mm -hmm. But if Sting beats him, every kid in that arena is like, I want that guy's DVDs. I want the guy's oh, T-shirt. They're trying to figure out who he is. They want to, They're going to look on the network and look at right. his whole anthology. YouTube. Yeah, YouTube and everything. It, it made no sense to do that. And then what it did, because you did that, then you had him lose to Rollins, which again was the next situation, because what they did was they killed off the potential dream match. Yeah. Because now nobody wants to see him and Taker. Nobody wants to see that at all. Well, I mean, it's like... Because uh, Triple H's character after that match, win or lose, is the same. He no matter what. lose yep. anything. Yeah. And that next Monday, when Sting lost, it's like, who's that old guy in makeup Triple H just beat up? Mm-hmm. And the, and the run-ins, and you now as a wrestler, maybe you could, Bischoff couldn't even explain this to me because he knew I was like a big Sting fan. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy, two and a half hours, and I would say an hour and 40 minutes was Sting talk. Like, the run-ins made no sense, that match. You had the... Uh, oh, the DX. DX NWO. came in. I, I just, I was never a big fan. But, you know, then you have the NWO come to save Sting, and as a wrestler, you tell me the NWO was never aligned with Sting. The black never. and white. Right. So it makes no sense. They come down to save him. Uh, you know, uh, the, you, you might have been able to sell me if it was just Shawn Michaels. Because that was cool when he super kicked Sting. To see, it, it was something legendary. Something you've never seen. It was something you've never seen before. To my knowledge, that is the only time Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Sting have ever been in a ring at the same time and what better stage like, than oh. wrestlemania but then the run-ins you got hogan and nash i mean kamala could have gotten to the ring faster you got nash looking like he didn't blew a fucking quad <laughs> and you got <laughs> scott hall looking like he didn't know where to drink the quickest of the punch literally <laughs> and then you got nash and Shawn michaels battling outside the ring it's like well, wait a minute literally 16 hours ago Shawn michaels is bringing nash into the hall of fame right made no sense and the number one thing, even the WWE writer was like, Earl, you know it's all scripted, right? And I'm like, listen, dude, I won't say the guy's name because he still works there. I'm like, you know, when I watch the movie Predator, I know there's not an actual fucking alien in the jungle shooting Carl <laughs> Weathers and Bill Duke at the same. By the way, very racist movie, Predator. Killed both black guys in the same scene. Man, they sure did. They were behind budget. I'm going to have me some fun. I'm going to have me some fun. Oh, I love me some Bill Duke. Uh, I'm going to have me some fun. Bill Duke's monologue after Jesse Ventura died. It's just us, bro. Remember same that? kind of night. Same kind of night. Same kind of <laughs> Cut your name right in. <laughs> I saw him at the gym once, and I, I don't get starstruck at all. But I'm like, fuck, that's the guy from Predator. And I walked up to him, he's on his headphones, and he's like got his eyes closed, and it's the only time I will ever bother. I just, I had to. I had to do it. <laughs> I'm like, Mr. Duke, uh, Car Wash, American Gigolo. I'm just a big fan. I, I'm sorry to bother He's like, it's okay. Like, he talks like he did in Predator. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, all right, man, have a nice that's when, that's when, as a man, you get moist. I had to do it. 
and I never I, I I'm all about respect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I just like there are moments in time where you're like, I may never be in a room with Bill Duke again. I have to do this. I was at a Earth Cafe in down the street, and I ran into Kelly Joe Mentor. Oh my God, Dude. Ma- I mean, mask. Uh, <laughs> Well, what else was she in? People Under the Stairs, Nightmare on Elm Street, House Party. She was the black girl of the 80s. And so I was like, because we were talking about something, and she had a card. Her card was a San Francisco 49ers card. And I was like, man, I hope the best for y'all. And she was like, where are you from, Chicago? And I was like, I know you're going to get this. I was like, but I, I kind of know who you are. She's like, who? And I was like, you're Kelly Jomenta. She was like, oh, thank you. And so her and I started talking. And she was like, what are you doing out here in L.A.? I was like, well, I just recently did a movie. So I came out here. She's like, what movie? I was like, Chirac. She was like, oh, you were in it? I was like, yeah. She was like, how were you in it? So I showed her the picture of me and Wesley Snipes. I was like, I play his right-hand man. She was like, oh, you were. Had a 45-minute conversation with her. I was like, you were the cutest little black woman I've seen in 10 years. Did you get her number? No, I didn't. I should have. See, I would have asked. I should I took. I have no filter. I, I believe you. I believe just like, hey, listen. I know you like 50. That wound probably doesn't work like that. Can I skeet one off? That would just be wrong. That, that would be I mean, wrong. And Ma- she wasn't in Mask a lot. but No, she uh, was in there like when they were on the summer camp. Yeah, but like. No, she was the uh, the friend. The friend of Lord Dern. Yeah, Lord Dern. It, uh, and I was like, wow, she's in. Uh, she was in something else. like uh, People under the stairs. Something in, the 80s, something in the 80s, like a pretty big movie. Uh, she's like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street, House Party. Um, I'm going to look her name up right now. Uh, Kelly Joe, if you're listening to this, I would love to have you on. Because I like to have guests like that. Like I like to have friends like you on, but I also like to have, like, I'm guessing Kelly Joe Mentor does not have, like, a huge social media presence. No, she doesn't. But I would kill to have her on. I, I swear, I looked, as soon as I took the picture with her and I posted it, I was looking for, like, where can I find her? You know, I was like, where can I find her? And I could not find her on social media. So she's not that far. Well, it's weird. Like you just, you know, they grew up in an era like of, of no MySpace, Facebook. Uh, they had to make all their fans organically. That's why I'll, I'll uh, you know, Dice Clay, uh, you know, often gets compared to Dane Cook because, from the standpoint of like how they blew up so fast. And I am more impressed with Dice because there was no MySpace, Facebook, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. He did it. Like I'm looking her name up. She is uh, at least not listed on. Uh, any social media. It's got a Wikipedia page, but shit, so do I. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, New Jack City. Uh, yeah. She was, uh, but that's not the, the principal. Maybe it was that. Summer School. That's what I'm thinking yep. of her. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, she was in huge movies. That's the intimidating thing about this business is like, this is a girl who was in huge movies and then just, you know, tons of TV shows. TJ Hooker, Martin, Zoe 101. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Kelly Joe, if you're out there, I'd love to have you on. I mean, if I can get Jack O'Halloran from Superman Two on this couch, uh, I can get anyone. Uh, so if anyone knows Kelly Joe, please, or Adrian's Mad, uh, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> I used to, I used to when I was back home in Chicago when I first started my radio show. We used to do Educated Insanity. One of my biggest things I said the whole purpose of the show was, I just want to find Stony Jackson. That's it. That's all. I just want to find Stoney Jackson. That's, that's all I want. I want him too. I just want Stoney Jackson. And everyone's like, why are you so upset to find Stoney Jackson? I was like, because somebody needs to know where he's at, okay? What is Stoney doing? Because, Stone- yeah, I mean, if you look at Stoney Jackson, first of all, he's in the Beat It video. Yep. The, the story, that's an hour podcast right there. 
he was also in, I think, season three of The White Shadow, mm-hmm. or maybe two. He, he came on, on with the show. Uh, what else was he in? And, and I know you're going to know this video, but I'm fascinated by the story behind it. Uh, he was also in the, he was a singer, lip syncer, I should say, in the I Can Dream About You video. He was. Now, the interesting thing about that, that song is that Dan Hartman, who died of AIDS, uh, or complications. Uh, by the way, there's a documentary on AIDS tonight on CNN that I'm, it looks amazing. Uh, oh, wait, what? But here's the thing. <laughs> it's a triple dip. Dan Hartman wrote and sang the song. Okay. Stoney Jackson lip-synced the song. Okay. And also... And this is another guy I want on the podcast. In the movie uh, Streets of Fire, which was a complete bomb. Yeah. Walter Hill movie. They thought it was going to be huge. Diane Lane, an 18-year-old Diane Lane. Uh, Michael Pere, who I thought this guy's the next Tom Cruise. I mean, he was good looking, could act. Willem Dafoe's the bad guy. Uh, but they had a, like a barbershop black quartet, I guess okay. you say. Stoney Jackson, Robert Townsend. Oh. Um, Michael T. Uh, Michael T. Williamson. M- Micheletti Williamson. Ma- I'm Michael T. Michael I'm T. Sorry, sorry. That was the whitest way to say his name. Michael T. Williamson. Micheletti. Michael T. No, that was. Because, yeah. Uh, and Grand Bush, who was in so many '80s things. He was the black helicopter pilot in Die Hard. Uh, he was in. Uh, a movie I'm obsessed with. Look up Grand Bush. You'll go, oh my God, that guy. He's the typical Hollywood character actor where you go, okay, that's the guy from Colors. That's the guy, uh, Grand L. Bush, I think is his. Uh, I want him on this podcast. He has yet to uh, reach out to me, which shouldn't be a surprise. It's not easy getting people on this fucking thing. So let me see. Sounds a little muffled because I'm typing. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that, yeah, that dude, that dude. He is in. Uh, I know you talking about this dude. Yeah, he's always looked like he's always been a thug. This guy he was in yep. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, but in Lethal Weapon, he was a cop. Um, he's always had the Jerry curl. I never could trust him after seeing him uh, with a curl. Um, he was also in, in this shot. He was in uh, James Bond. Uh, we played a DEA agent, um, and I just. See, I like guests like that. Like, here's a guy who's been... He was in Demolition Man. I remember him in that. Street Fighter. Oh, he did play Balrog. He was Balrog in Street Fighter. Yeah. Oh. So, like, (laughs) he's been in, like... I just think he would be a fascinating guest. (laughs) So, if anybody knows Grand Bush out there, uh, please get him on this podcast. You know, you don't ask, you don't get, is my philosophy. (laughs) And I'm assuming Grand Bush does not have a large social media presence. I see nothing about him on the social media sites. Which is crazy. To He's me. on Facebook. Is it? Well, I've reached out to him on Facebook. He has yet to reach back. But I get it. He probably gets a message from me and like, who the fuck is this guy? Who's an Earl Skagel? Who the hell? I've reached out to Peter Horton from Side Out, and uh, he uh, he said he'd think about it, which basically is no thank you. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. I don't want it. But a lot of people realize that. Got to do podcasts. Got to do podcasts. Well, I, I'm like, I mean, a lot of 80s singers I have on, they get it. They're like, hey, listen, it's 2016. It's not like people are breaking down my door to talk to me. And podcasts <laughs> and wrestlers. Uh, yeah. You know, I had Dolph Ziggler's brother on, and, you know, he was great. Uh, you know, he gets it. 
Um, so, uh, all right. Now, where can people see you, Jay? Like, let's get back to comedy for two, not two seconds, however long we do it, because uh, you are L.A. based. Yes, I'm L.A. based now. And where would you say you perform the most? I have no specific place the most. I'm Since I've gotten here, one of the greatest things has been uh, I'll hit a stage here and there. And then people are like, hey, you want to do this show? You want to do that show? So I've been able to be all around the Los Angeles area. I'm working on trying to get in the clubs, you know, stable in the clubs right now, which I know is a process out here. Yeah. It's a process indeed. But, you know, you'll see me hanging around. But definitely, I'm always through L.A., somebody's different showcase, somebody's different show. If I'm not performing at a show that's at the comedy store, a show that's at the improv, or I'm at the Ha Ha in North Hollywood, uh, I'll be at Flappers on the 21st. Sorry about that. I know. Uh, <laughs> I banned myself from Flappers. You did? That's funny. Yeah, I just do some. You know, I get along with pretty much everyone. Oh, I thought that was Patrick Ewing. Uh, hold on. So my bad. They're showing up. Jesus Christ. I tell you, this uh, gorilla Harambe has better posture than I do. Man, have you seen his obituaries? People have been making on social media. I, let's. I got to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I believe in evolution after seeing Harambe. Yeah, I I'm really. Not, I'm not trying to be funny. No, no, no. I get you. I believe that because I saw Harambe, then I saw. Somebody showed me a clip of Harambe that I just happened to be looking through. Then I saw a clip of the Wendy Williams show, and I was like, ah, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> so that's how that works. He can do that, guys. He's black. <laughs> well, plus, when I put the pictures up of Jay, you're like, Earl, he's black, right? <laughs> he's black. You, you, you sure? I'm, I'm positive right now. He may, uh, Jay is so black, he makes Kimbo Slice look like an albino. That is not, no, that's just this shirt. That's a black, and that motherfucker. Oh, fuck. I thought you were shirtless. My bad. That is, ha. Ah. I was like, oh, that's I'm why this spot, that's why this spot is on my couch. Uh, but uh right. yeah, being out being out through here, man, I've been able to do a lot of different shows. I've been having a ball doing them. I uh, I'm actually leaving to Chicago on Sunday for like a couple of weeks. I'm filming a new movie with Tom Arnold called Landline. So that'll be cool. Tom Arnold, cool guy. Yeah, I get to meet him for the first time. Tom Arnold, Nick Searcy, Betsy Brand, Jim O'Hare, Louis Lombardi. So it's gonna be a fun time doing that. Um yeah, I'm doing a bunch of different shows out here, man. You'll be doing like Zanies where you have time to do like yeah, any, uh, any the, spots. In I'll Chicago. be at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. I, I think I'll be at Zanies. I'll be at Parlor Car. I'll be at uh, Stand Up Stand Up. Basically, just check my website. I got to update the. the and that's uh, jwashington.com. Bam! There it goes. If where I, can uh, the social media? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all Mr. J Washington, M R J A Y Washington. Find me on everything there, man. My Facebook fan page, all that. I keep it all simple because i tried to be jay washington on twitter and uh there's a filipino basketball player named jay washington so whenever the filipino basketball team has a game and they win i get tweets for dude like congratulations great game from, from the philippines i was like yeah vote manny pacquiao like i don't know what else to tell these people like that's not me right so you know it is what it is well listen uh you're a good dude and uh you know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Man. No, I listen. I we could definitely talk another hour, but oh. like I tell everyone this, I we're I think we're about an hour and twenty minutes. I want people to go. I want more. Absolutely. Uh, so you will be back. Maybe uh, maybe we'll do a big. Uh, what's coming up? SummerSlam. Uh, yeah, SummerSlam. First is the Money in the Bank. Right, right. Which I I do like how they do the Money in Bank, where the guy kind of pushes out and waits till the guy's like you know incapacitated and he cashes it in. The good thing about this Money in the Bank pay per view, real quick, is you oh, no, don't, you don't know who's gonna win. Like the the people that are in this one, there's a good chance any any one of them they could say, hey, you 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 could be the champ for a while. There's no telling. 
I mean, I like my favorite is uh, when Seth Rollins did it because he he plays such a cowardly heel, but it just he plays the perfect. I heel. love it. Like and he's the first ever cash in at WrestleMania. Yeah, first ever. And what I love about him, uh, him and his very limited interactions with Sting is he sold for Sting, like. Uh, uh-huh. That one Monday night where they unveiled the statue and it was Sting underneath the, uh, <laughs> and it Sting threw him around a little bit. And he really, he almost oversold. He's like, all right, dude, this is 56 year old dude, still in great shape. <laughs> but when Sting threw him out of the ring, he lands, does a roll, and then does a moonsault. Like, it's like he had rockets in his boots. And it was like that. I, you know, there's a, and I'm sure you've seen this clip of Shawn Michaels. I guess Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan did not get along. Oh, the match they had with each other? Yeah, and there's, I don't know what, uh, I guess look up Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan on YouTube, and it's it's about two minutes uh, of a perfectly edited of Shawn Michaels beyond overselling. Like, Ho- Hogan would barely touch him, and Michaels would do like three backflips out of the ring, and it was, it's the fucking funniest thing. I don't laugh at much. Between that and when he, Michaels wrestled uh, Cena, <laughs> And at WrestleMania, I think it was WrestleMania, and you can hear Michael sit on the rope and say, come on, let's get this started. I got a job to do. Right. And everybody was like, me and my buddies who wrestled, who's so like, uh, did he just say? And everybody was like, and then it happened. You were like, oh, Shawn Michaels ain't shit. Yeah. He, <laughs> well, I imagine when you're at that level, you, you and I'm sure Hogan and him, uh, I guess Hogan was a little before Michael's time. It was like, I don't want a job to Hulk Hogan. Oh, I'm going to job do I'm sure Vince was like, you're jobbing to Hulk Hogan. He's like, and Michael was right. like, okay. <laughs> you want me to job? I'm going to do the most crazy oversell. I'm, I got to pull this up. Oh, uh, I think I've seen, I know someone with these. Just, oh my God, those are was the worst oversells in history. So, I mean, because uh, would you say, uh, while I'm looking this up, Describe to me uh, whether it's an indie or or in, in the WWE. I'm sure and you don't have to mention names where you mm-hmm. get this info from, but how political is it in terms of older guys jobbing out to younger guys? Uh, you know, uh, you know, like I know uh, when Goldberg was you know rising up the ranks. I thought the thing that made his character was that match, a free match, which was insane, and that shows you the WCW thinking. That, that they would give away this match free on Monday Night Raw in the Georgia Dome mm-hmm. when Hogan jobbed to him. And it was like it made Goldberg's character versus, say, Triple H beating Sting. How, what, what are the, uh, not protocols, but like when someone is asked to put someone over, how nasty can it get? Super nasty. It could actually, because the guys who are vets are like, oh, I've put this business, I've, I've carried this company, blah, 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 my business and this company on my back, and now I have to lose to this guy. How can you, Derek, can you tell me to do this? What about all I've done? And it's like, yeah, you're still helping the company out by putting somebody new over. You're not always going to be on top. Hogan to this day still uh, wants to go over. Even if he could, you know, if he wasn't banned right now, he still want to go over. Like, dude, no. The dream match is supposed to be him versus Cena. And uh, it's supposed to be him versus Cena. And he is so adamantly against putting Cena over. Wait, is that because Cena was like, who are you? You're just some uh, white guy doing the rapping shtick. You think it was an insult to Michaels? Well, even even now, it's like, it's even now where Cena's this, the, he's the face of the company. Yeah. He's the face of the company. 
And it's like, Hogan, we need you to put him, you know, we, this is the official pass the torch. You can take your walk into the sunset and be done. And he won't do it. He's like, but I'm Hulk Hogan, you know, Hulkamaniacs train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, dude. All those people are old. Some are dead. And most of them can never leave their house anyway. Brother. Brother. And say the N word. That's why. Yeah. But that's why. But Taker will put people over. But Taker is like this. I'll do the job when it makes sense. Right. When it makes sense. Again, the WrestleMania, everybody's like, he wasn't supposed to lose to Brock. Yes, he was. He's the one who said he'll lose to Brock. That one, he actually was supposed to go over. But Taker walked in the door. That's how much respect Vince has for him. Because think about it. There's never been a talk of him ever leaving. He's never thought about jumping ship. He's been loyal 20-some years. Mean Mark Calloway. Mean Thank Mark you Calloway. very much. Walked in the door, said, look, Vince, I can't do this. Let Put him over. He's, but Brock has always been the one. See, I think the real guy, and this would never would have happened because it's a WCW guy, but. If you either want to make Sting a bad guy or a good guy, you would have had Sting beat The Undertaker. Would have been a fucking riot. Never was going to happen. I know it was oh, never going to happen. Oh, it would, even if the match did happen, there's no way in heaven or hell he was going to put Sting over on Taker. This oh, would, I, that I know. I'm just would, saying it makes sense. Oh, it made sense. From a rematch perspective. Yeah. Imagine the heat behind that. Oh, uh, behind, oh the buildup behind that match? That uh, WCW, uh, their best beat our best. The re- the, you could have gone a, a year program. Yeah, you could have you could have carried that two WrestleManias. Yeah, that could have had that could have been marquee for two WrestleManias. And then you put uh, Undertaker over Sting. Mm-hmm. They both have wins. Hall of Fame. Bam. Because like they said, this was supposed to have been Taker's curtain call at this one, but it was like. <sighs> It was all right. It was nice to see Shane fly a little bit. Oh my god, that fly! I mean, <laughs> it was nice. I'll give him that. I, but I don't like the way they run this. Uh, the, the, I'm not a fan of the new WWE, but I will give Shane a fan. He does take the bumps. He, you know what? He'll take them, and I and I give him credit for that. But it was like it. We wanted this was supposed to be Taker's curtain call because this was Texas. This was supposed to be Taker go bye bye. And now they're saying Taker's going to wrestle at SummerSlam. I mean, I don't know what, who, uh, I, I mean. Uh, he's already buried Bray Wyatt, I, who I feel so sorry for. Uh, he's like, I mean, you know, that's, it's like, this guy could be the new Undertaker. Mm-hmm. But they've ruined him already. You've had him job, basically turn into a higher-end Iron Mike Sharp. Yes, you have. And it's almost, I'd like to think with great writing, nothing is unsavable. But they don't hire, uh, they hire Hollywood writers who, uh, I mean. Who aren't fans. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need a mark like me writing, but like you need someone to understand the psychology of what the fans want. You have to. In my opinion. Yeah. You have to understand what the fans want, but you also have to understand longevity. So you say, okay, I got Bray Wyatt, right? He's, we basically took the Whale and Mercy gimmick, rehashed it, made it work, Right. But now we're doing this dark angle with him. Cool. We're going to make him close to the new thing towards The Undertaker. Perfect. We're going to have him wrestle The Undertaker at WrestleMania after The Undertaker's already lost. Well, we already know what's going to happen with this. You already know The Undertaker's not losing two WrestleManias in a row. 
Neither. You could really say, maybe biggest thing fans I am, he doesn't beat Undertaker. Bray Wyatt should beat him. The, the fans would have fucking hated him. I mean, they already kind of hated him. Uh-huh. But that would have been, that would have elevated him to the top heel by far. Yeah, with no problem. No problem. But he's, Bray's a company man. Well, that's going to kill his career. A, Bray's cook, a company man. You want me to do this? Yes, yes, yes. He's yes. so good. And the problem is everybody, see, here's the problem with that. People are trying to think they can go the Triple H route. Triple H went that route. He was in the back. He was always talking to Vince. Whatever Vince needed, yes, I'll do yes, it. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Everything. But then he started being able, he started being there so much. Vince was like, well, what do you think about this? Once he started, he started listening to Triple H's ideas. The worst. Once he started listening to ideas, that's when things started rolling for Triple H. Okay. Now, granted, that's how we got the Attitude Era, which was their best, their best time. But now, after all the guys are gone, they don't want to elevate anybody. The only way the WWE can fully elevate now is everybody from the Attitude Era has to go. Triple H has to go. Kane has to go. The Big Show has to go. Mark Henry has to go. Uh, who else is left? I think that's about it. Well, Shane. Yeah, Shane Love never comes back. Stephanie. But all, all the McMahons need to be off TV, period. Yeah, they're not good. I mean, Shane is okay. and I think they're good in dosages, but... Uh, I don't know. It's just we could we could go on for another hour about Triple H. Yeah. Although I did meet him at Lemmy's funeral. Uh he did give a great speech at Lemmy's funeral. Because uh, my ex manages Motorhead. She said, Hey, you gotta be the usher. You're you're gonna be the only one who knows who all these wrestlers and uh Metallica guys are. And uh I think he had heard me on Piper's podcast and <laughs> he like gave me kind of he was cool, but he was. I think he knew who I was. I think you know what. And some guys, people, people don't they take for granted and think that big guys, big name guys, don't listen to the internet again. Oh, he did. I I know who I know. Triple H is, and I know everybody's thinking. Oh, you you think you can do my job better than me? Uh, look, you have NXT, and you're doing a great job with that. I'll give him that. You're doing a great, unbelievable. Job. You're doing a great job, but the problem is, you've developed some characters that can't translate to a bigger stage. That's why Tyler Breeze is the way he is right now. Right. The Vaudevillians, it's... Um, Bring up Samoa Joe to the main roster. Nah. The guy's not young. He, I don't think he wants... I don't think he was brought in to go up, come up. I really wish he could. I think he was brought in to be specifically NXT. I mean, I just... I would love to see him and AJ Styles. Oh, on the main show? In front of 18,000? In front of a real crowd? Yeah, I mean, forget the TNA. AJ Styles, I mean... I. I feel he's at the end of his prime, like because this guy's been wrestling forever. New Japan, done a bunch of shows Japan. with AJ. Super cool dude. I mean, you know, they got him a little too late, but they got him. So hopefully, uh, Triple H doesn't. I mean, you'll still get a few good matches, but you tr- you thought you were going to get a five star match with him and Jericho. Jericho's no spring chicken. Yeah, I mean, these guys are you know late thirties, early forties. Jericho's got to be. Uh, Almost 40, if not 50. Say, uh, it looks great, but, you know, he's not going to be doing what he did in WCW. The, when he had the only bu- person that can give AJ a five-star match, honestly, well, one of the two people, is Dolph Ziggler can possibly give him yeah. one, and Seth Rollins. I believe Rollins can give him one. But they already, like, kind of jobbed AJ out to Reigns, so it's like now right. no one cares. And, and, and that's the thing. It. She's so like, who wants to see AJ against Seth Rollins? Now, where if AJ beats Reigns, it's like, oh. Then give him Seth Rollins, and it, it makes some sense. How would he do? I just, but, I mean, we're, here we just came up with an angle in, like, two minutes. Yeah. 
But again, those are things. Again, you look at the long term. Again, the real let's because I know we're gonna keep going. But the WWE believed with the Shield, they had a resurgence in the Attitude Era. Like the NWO, it's like an NWO. Well, not even that. You had a new Triple H Rock in Austin, right? You had that, and that's fine. But the problem is with Reigns, you're trying to do him like you did everybody with Edge. You pushed Edge down everybody's throat. The difference is people caught on with Edge. He could talk. He could do things that made you like, I'm kind of digging this dude now. Right. Roman Reigns can't do any of that. It's not good on the stick. It's not. As they say. They put Chris Benoit in acting classes. Maybe he should learn not to act how to kill his family. Well, listen, at least we know Benoit's finishing move worked. Oh, right. Hey, where was the kid's tag team partner? I always ask that. (laughs) Someone, Someone should have made the save, but... All right, we'll end on that. I like to end on a triple murder. Uh, listen, don't get mad at me. I'm not the guy who fucking killed his whole family. <laughs> Is it Kel- Kevin Sullivan and the Devil Worshippers? Oh my god! <laughs> you should have seen. You want to? I, I, I almost did that joke at the Piper Memorial. You know, Steve Simone set up the Piper Memorial, and Steve was more associated with Roddy than I was. Uh-huh. And Steve was too broken up to to host. He's like, dude, you got to host. I know you were tight with Piper, but just you got to do it. And I said, yeah, no problem. And I, like Piper's family was like, yeah, do jokes, you know, do some wrestling stuff. I'm like, uh, my act's really not like, it's kind of dry and sarcastic. I don't know if I'd be the best host. And they're like, Earl Roddy loves you. You got to do it. So I'm up there and I had the crowd going at one point. And I did a Kamala joke that maybe I shouldn't have. I'm like, hey, everyone, I got some tweets from people who couldn't make it today. They just wanted to uh, give their condolences. Uh, Kamala's going to be here. He's rolling down Sunset right now. And I hear DDP in the back go, oh, my God. (laughs) And at one point, I felt so confident. I'm like, God, I got this Benoit joke I really want to do, but I just couldn't do it. And I was like... It was basically what I just did, and uh, God, I, I was, I was close. It would have been high risk, high reward, but <laughs> and uh, you know. Now let me ask you this: this, this is where I want to end. It. I don't want to end on a triple murder story. Okay, I pitched because you know the indie scene. You know what wacky story angles uh, could work, not work in the WWE. I pitched this to Eric Bischoff, and it was the only time in a two and a half hour podcast I lost him for two and a half hours. I had him in stitches. He was like, "I want to come back." You know, I, it's kind of a lot of work to get him here because yeah. he, I'm sure he was like, who are you? I get asked to do hundreds of these and he couldn't have been any nicer. Uh, and so toward the end, like at the Piper Memorial, I was like, fuck, I'm feeling good. I'm going to throw this out. I'm like, hey, Eric, I know uh, I know you're friends with Hulk Hogan and I know he's got some problems. I'm not talking about the sex tape. And he starts to stiffen up a little bit like, oh, God, you're going to bring up the N word. And I'm like, you know, he. Had some interesting takes on certain elements of society recently. Uh, I got an idea to get him back and his reputation back where it was. It's like what? And he starts to sit up, sitting right where you are, uh, gets on the edge of the couch. I'm like, here's here's my idea. Next Royal Rumble, you have Hulk Hogan do an all-black Royal Rumble where he has to wrestle every black wrestler on the roster, past and present, and like each guy brings out a different like one guy would bring out chains, one guy would whip him, and uh, like you could tell Bischoff saw it. he wasn't necessarily like I don't think so. And then he just looks at me stone faced and goes, "And then what?" I'm like, 
Gee, I don't know, man. I, that's up to you. <laughs> Do you think that would work? Have Hogan get beat by a bunch of by black... Every black... So, you know, you do... Uh, Hulk Hogan goes to the ring. He's waiting. The clock starts. Three, two. Mark Henry comes out. Henry just beats the shit out of him. Three, two, one. Booker T and Stevie Ray come out. <laughs> you you try to start a Trump rally at the Royal Rumble. You've been had a clan come out. We got the same yeah. brother Hogan. You have a guy in a clan. That was like my last idea is you have a guy in a clan outfit. You can't see his skin. He's in all white. And he c- pulls it out and he pulls off the hood and it's The Rock. Now, obviously, The Rock's not going to do that. And then he puts him in The Rock bottom. And then every black wrestler, it's like that scene in The Longest Yard where they throw the football at Ray Nitsky's nuts and the whole team piles on him. Then you have every black wrestler. Uh, and then you have Teddy Long come out in a ref show. <laughs> Basically, treat the rock like the whole roster treated public enemy. Right. Tell me that wouldn't at least get, first of all, every Hogan like that. Every news station would cover it. Yeah. And it would, like, in a jokingly way, kind of make fun of Hogan's, like, racist comments. (sighs) Ah, fuck it. It was just an idea. (laughs) Jay's turning white right now on my couch. So, (laughs) all right, guys, jwashingtoncomedy.com. Mr. Jay Washington. Is jwashington.com, Mr. Jay Washington on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Please follow Jay. He's going to come back for more. Uh, you know, I love talking wrestling. I still love it. Uh, I mean, the internet's ruined it for me because, you know, as a child in the age, like when Jay was a teenager, the internet was around. So you could, you know, you knew the ultimate. Hit the dirt sheets. Yeah. You knew Ultimate Warrior wasn't from Parts Unknown. But as a, as a kid for me, I thought it, I looked on the map three times uh, to see where's Parts Unknown. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, and you knew Kamala was named Jim, and he's from South Carolina. So the internet's ruined wrestling for me, but I love talking wrestling. Jay's a great comic, so uh, if you're in L.A., uh, when he comes back from Chicago, check him out. If you're in the Chicago area, probably be at Zany's. And, I'll be uh, at the Laugh Factory for sure. Zany's, I'm waiting on the email for that, but yeah, you'll definitely be able to find me. So uh, go on his website, jwashington.com. Keep up with him there, and uh, this has been Inappropriate Earl. Uh, next week, we got the great George Perez star roast battle Monday, and a very very special hockey guest. This is a big one. Uh, I can't say, uh, you know, because I don't want him uh, to get bugged. But uh, this is uh, good. probably will be the most serious, inappropriate role ever because we're going to get into some uh, unfortunate uh, hockey, uh, the bad side of hockey, especially junior hockey. Uh, so uh, we're going to get into that. So uh, thank you guys. Inappropriate role, SoundCloud and iTunes. Yeah.